0: Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program,
1: I felt that there was a severe need for an improvement in the experience of people, engineers, site reliability engineers and executives to get a better sense of what was going inside their data systems. So that was the genesis of the idea and we started this company in 2018.
0: Uh, That's after these headlines. Apple is facing an antitrust challenge in India for allegedly abusing its dominant position in the apps market by forcing developers to use its proprietary in-app payment systems, Reuters reported yesterday. The allegations are similar to a case Apple is facing in Europe, where regulators last year started an investigation into the iPhone maker's imposition of an in-app fee of 30% for distribution of paid digital content and other restrictions. The complainant in India is a non-profit organization called Together We Fight Society, which is based in India's western state of Rajasthan. The society told Reuters in a statement that it filed the case with the Competition Commission of India in the interest of protecting Indian consumers and startups, according to the Reuters report. The CCI is already investigating similar practices by Google. Earlier this week, South Korea became the first country to ban Apple and Google's App Store practices that include forcing developers to use their payment systems and pay the up to 30% fee on in-app sales of digital goods. Eight Indian banks announced yesterday that they are rolling out a system called Account Aggregator to allow consumers to consolidate all their financial data in one place, TechCrunch reported. The new system makes it possible for banks, tax authorities, insurers and other finance firms to aggregate data of customers who have provided their consent, to get better understanding about their potential customers, make informed decisions and ensure smoother transactions. Participant banks are HDFC, Kotak, ICICI, Axis, SBI, IndusInd, IDFC and Federal, according to the TechCrunch report. PhonePay, a fintech company that is part of Walmart's Flipkart unit, has launched an interactive website called PhonePay Pulse, with data, insights and trends on digital payments in the country. The website showcases more than 20 billion transactions by consumers on an interactive map of India. With over 45% market share on the Unified Payments Interface platform, paste data is representative of the country's digital payment habits, the company said in a press release. Samsung Electronics has introduced the ISOCELL HP1, the industry's first 200-megapixel image sensor, with 0.64 micrometer pixels, the company said in a press release yesterday. The image sensor is equipped with the technology to combine groups of pixels in different configurations based on the lighting conditions allowing the sensor to capture very high quality images irrespective of the lighting conditions. In a low-lit environment, the HP1 transforms into a 12.5 megapixel image sensor with large 2.56 micrometer pixels by merging 16 neighboring pixels. The newly formed 2.56 micrometer pixel is capable of more light absorption and sensitivity producing brighter and clearer photos in indoors or in the evening. In bright outdoor environments, the sensor's 200 million pixels can capture ultra-high-definition photography on mobile devices, and the sensor is small enough to fit comfortably in today's smartphones. Rohit Choudhury and his co-founders started Axel Data about three years ago, in part because he got really tired of debugging data applications. He felt there had to be a better experience with applications that handled large amounts of data, especially at larger organizations that had a hundred terabytes or more of data. Today some of the world's biggest companies use Axel Data's data observability platform. The company is also backed by Sorensen Ventures, Lightspeed, and Emergent Ventures. Rohit, who's co founder and CEO at Axel Data, explain some of the tech behind the data observability platform to me and why it is gaining a lot of traction. Here's more from our conversation. Rohit, uh, thank you so much for making time for this. Welcome to this podcast. Uh, For folks who are less familiar with uh, Axel Data, and uh, I I guess I put myself in that category as well, Uh, tell us uh, briefly about your work uh, and uh, how you started this uh, company and we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Really pleasure to be here and speaking with your listeners. Uh, you know, we started Excel Data in 2018. Uh, I have been debugging production applications, you know, uh, data systems and web applications both since 2007 2008 timeframe. And, uh, you know, I got really tired of debugging data applications. Data applications are extremely complex to debug. And, I've, you know, when I was looking for tools when I was at Hortonworks, which was my most recent job before I started the company, I felt that there was a severe need for an improvement in the experience of people, engineers, site reliability engineers and executives to get a better sense of what was going inside their data systems. So that was the genesis of the idea and we started this company in 2018. Uh, you know four of us got together all four co-founders were from Hortonworks where I used to be an engineering leader leading open source and closed source projects and um, you know that was the genesis of the company. I think if I talk in terms of you know what was the hypothesis behind the whole company and why did we feel that this is a large opportunity? We clearly saw a few trends developing in front of us when I used to work with large companies such as you know, Bank of America, Standard Chartered Bank, uh, while I was at Hortonworks. We would see these clear trends that you know, every company, large, small, they were actually becoming data-driven. Most of these companies were also trying to adopt open source and open core technologies very, very quickly and rapidly so that they could become data-driven and build business use cases on top of um, the data that they were collecting from different sources. But the one challenge that they had was that they did not have enough visibility into the kind of data systems that they were dealing with. And not many of these enterprises have the talent available to deal with these new complex systems. So we figured that you know through our own experiences of working with clients that this seemed like a good problem to solve. And we, we then looked at the previous generation of companies and, you know, large businesses were built on top of this premise of visibility and monitoring. And those companies are AppDynamics, Dynatrace, Datadog. These are extremely large and valuable companies on which, you know, most of the operations teams depend on today. So we felt that, you know, a very similar market was evolving in the data space. And that's how we, you know, started the company. Uh, we raised our seed round with Lightspeed way back in 2018. And you know, we've been three years in building a product and company with lots of you know really large, exciting customers today.
0: Mm. It might help uh, if we uh, get a sense, uh, sort of in layman terms, uh, what you mean by uh, data observability. And then if you maybe tell us a little bit about the data observability platform. Uh, explain these concepts to us
1: absolutely you know uh, the best way to think about data observability is by thinking about you know google maps you know if you're going you know if you're undertaking a journey from one place to the other you probably know the beginning of the you know the journey and the end of the journey but you know the middle ways all the different routes that you take the shortcuts that you need to take where roads are broken where you need to take a deviation where there is a traffic check that's very difficult to you know, ascertain unless you have a map in front of you. And that is sort of you know I would say the uniqueness that Google Maps brought to this world, that you know it just gave you the navigation map. Now in terms of you know, when you think about data, you know data has its own very long journey. You know data is produced at multiple different places and it goes through you know, a set of different interconnected data systems. So you know, data is produced on mobile phones today, it is produced on web applications through user-generated clicks, through data which is stored in you know enterprise repositories. All of that data is now being collected in a central repository. So it actually has a journey. It goes through you know the point of origin to an intermediate location where it is prepared for eventual consumption. Now and, and eventually it is consumed at the destination. So data has a journey to cover, which goes through multiple different data systems. And the the one thing that people would like to see is, you know, the ability to look very deeply inside that journey. And that we call basically the MRI equivalent that, you know, can you look at all your data systems together and do an MRI and find out whether it was a bone which was broken or whether it was, you know, the tendon which is now ruptured or whether it is actually a muscle tear. What is actually going on? Because, you know, these... This data journey is pretty complex. As data moves through, you know, different systems, it basically undergoes, you know, compute performance issues. It may have data quality issues because of, you know, jobs which are failing or, you know, processes, business processes which are incorrectly configured. All users may have different expectations of the data that they want to consume. So, if you want to get rid of these problems, then for you, the first step would be to get a map, to get like a deep, you know, high-resolution image of systems, first of all, in a single pane of glass, and second, at different levels of insights. So that's what data observability is, that it gives you an amazing ability to get end-to-end comprehensive wing-to-wing visibility into all your data systems, all the data pipelines, which are abstractions of your business processes, and the data quality, which is flowing through these data pipelines. So it's a combination of three things now you would imagine that you know most of these enterprises are using data in a very similar way you know a lot of data is ingested from different sources it basically goes into a place a central repository which may be a cloud data warehouse or on-premise data lake and eventually all of that is consumed now you know typically when you're doing these three things you're you're subjecting that data to go through a data pipeline which is an abstraction on your business process you monitor the compute systems, and then finally, you know, you you're assured of data quality. Now, when you can do all of these th- three things through a single system, through a single monitoring observability system, that system, according to us, is the observability platform. Now, the reason that you know the, to the second part of your question was what is the platform? So, the platform has a nature of being available to the user at a place and in a manner that they are most comfortable with. You know, some of our very advanced customers would like to program the platform, which is that they would like to consume the data that we show in terms of visibility. They would like to consume it as APIs and put them as circuit breakers within their data pipelines. And in some cases, they would just like an end-to-end self-serve experience. So depending upon, you know, where the customer is, you know, whether they're extremely technical or whether they, they would prefer a self-serve experience, you know, the platform has to cater to all of that. The final thing as a platform would be that you know, it has to have a very, very wide surface area coverage, that like, you know it, it should be available on the on-premise data lakes. It should be present on the more modern platforms, such as Snowflake and Databricks. And of course, many of the cloud service providers, they have their own individual services. But the user, the enterprise user, the enterprise data teams, they would like to have a single unified pane of glass using which they can monitor all of these as a single point control system.
0: Mm. Uh- Explain uh, the tech a little bit uh, behind your flagship product. What, what is the flagship product called? Uh, and also, uh, give us a sense of how it does what it is capable of doing.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So, you know, we when we started developing a platform, we actually looked at all the different kinds of libraries and technologies and platforms that were available in open source and also in the commercial world. And the one thing that sort of you know just stood out for us, and you know my my background also is in uh, you know Apache Ambari, which when I started the company was already deployed at approximately you know fifteen hundred plus customer locations managing approximately five thousand Hadoop clusters, and we knew by virtue of working on that product that you know the architecture for which it was built was not the most conducive in returning all the information at a fidelity that users expect in the big data world. Now, one of the fundamental differences between you know what used to earlier happen in the web application world versus what is happening in the data world is just the volume of data. To just give you a simple measure of things, you know, in terms of you know server count, for example, if you were deploying a complex web application, you know, you would probably spend approximately you know for give or take lack, for a better word, I will call it a server. You know, you would probably use you know anywhere between fifteen to twenty-five servers to develop you know to deploy. A complex enough web application. Of course, at Facebook scale, it is many more uh, servers. But if you're talking about a reasonably good size uh, data deployment, we're talking about, you know, approximately 1000 servers, you know, 1000, 1000 1, node servers are very common. So, unlike you know, traditional monitoring, which could provide you a good dial and you would basically look at all the information. And in the developer or the site reliability engineer's mind, they would be able to visually correlate like a like several pieces of dial on a car dashboard, and they would then be able to determine what the issues were. In the data world, the data world actually faces this problem called too much data. So in when you think about you know the amount of metrics that can be collected at a large platform scale it's quite clearly that you know more data is not the easy solution so enterprise customers are looking for direct insights so they need a lot of interpretation of the telemetry data that we are collecting from different layers and using machine learning and ai we actually start making recommendations immediately we do, you know, log reduction so that they're able to see the root cause of issues, you know, at the go, you know, at the very first click they're able to see one click, you know, root cause analysis of the issues that are occurring. And most of these technologies we had to, you know, write ground up. So we've actually developed our own set of connectors. We've developed our own set of, uh, you know, backend services which are able to connect with different kinds of distributed technologies deal with the amount of data that comes to us, which is, by the way, you know, we ourselves have converted our, you know, our platform into a big data platform, because, you know, that's the amount of data that we collect for on behalf of our customers. And, you know, continuously looking at the data that we collect, looking at patterns, uh, which come both from logs, telemetry, uh, machine signals, application level data, we put all of that together to give insights into you know, what's happening in any data installation across any enterprise. Uh, we have a very significant R&D team, you know, and most of them come with significant background in, in big data and data technology. So that sort of helped to uh, you know utilize all the domain expertise that we already had and express that as products in the way that we think data systems should be run.
0: Hmm. Uh, give us one example of a customer uh, just to give us a sense of uh, what exactly is the end benefit that they get out of uh, deploying accel data sure
1: you know uh, i actually missed answering the previous part of your question that you know which are the flagship products you know so the flagship product that we launched uh, early in 2019 was this thing called accelerator pulse Ever since we've also brought two new products to the market, you know, we, we actually GA'd our second product, which is Accelerator Torch in, in late 2020. And we are currently inviting early adopters and customers for our third product, which is called data, uh, you know, Accelerator Flow. Now, when we started uh, the company, the first customer that we got was G Digital. We started working with them on Accelerator Pulse and they were facing issues on their infrastructure on AWS where they're... And data analysts were not able to get the answers or the results to their queries in the right amount of time. So they were experiencing latency issues, and they had approximately 2,500 analysts using the finance data lake, which is the central data lake that powers all the GE companies, and which essentially meant that if FTL was not responsive enough, you know, all the analysts who were working on financial tasks across the GE conglomerate, they would not be able to perform their duties. So the first thing that we did was when we installed Accelerator Pulse on FTL, we started identifying where the performance bottlenecks were. Where were, you know, was there some, you know, application query or user who was coming in and destroying the experience for the rest of the users and was hogging most of the resources which were available in the system and was not allowing the other users to experience uh, the right amount of SLAs. So the first thing that we did over there was isolating these use cases and then making recommendations as to you know, which are the queries, how should be they, they be written. And we completely completed the audit within like a matter of a couple of weeks. And over a period of time, we started making recommendations. That would be you know, one of the use cases that we can talk about. There's another use case which is even more interesting. You know, we partnered with PhonePay very early in their journey. You know, they were when they were not at this scale, and you know, they currently, I believe, they are at extremely large scale, over 300 million users. PhonePay uses, you know, Accelerator Pulse to ensure that all their data systems, including the OLTP, the OLAP, and the streaming systems, they are actually performant. They are always up and they are never down. And we've actually enabled PhonePay to scale their data systems from. You know a relatively meager scale of approximately 70 nodes to currently at you know approximately 1,400 nodes on their overall infrastructure. And I'm very pleased to let you know that they've not experienced a single severity one issue in the last eight to nine months. And that's a huge accomplishment because you know PhonePay, as we all know, it's a hyperscaler. And, you know it is one of the leading companies in the world right now in terms of its user access and the number of transactions that they process. And you know we are very glad that we actually got to partner with them and enable them to uh, you know scale their data systems
0: rapidly. yeah, I mean, when we just uh, started out, uh, you were talking about how you wanted uh, a greater presence uh, and also to let more people know about your work in India. Uh, so give us a sense of uh, what you're seeing in India today. Also maybe talk about uh, uh, what you do in India in terms of your product development and so on and what you still need to do in Silicon Valley, maybe.
1: No, oh, absolutely. I mean, both of those are, you know, both parts are great, actually. So in India, you know, this is the latest trend, and it has caught the world by surprise, but not us, because, you know, we were by, by the work that we were doing already with phone Pay and also Pubmatic, Pubmatic has deep India roots. And I'm, my, my own background has been, you know, doing or working in startups for the longest time so i was a very early engineer at Inmobi and we started the data revolution in many ways in india way back at Inmobi. you know and then it was followed by several other successful startups which have come out of that you know that 25 square kilometer area which is you know the silicon valley of india actually it is the bangalore of india as opposed to you know copying anybody else it's an, it's an amazing place so you know we kept our eye out for this trend so like i was mentioning earlier that we work with you know the enterprise 500 or fortune 500 and the global 2000 companies but we are also seeing this very, very, you know, sort of the pincher movement in the in the India and the APAC region where we're seeing that, you know, digital startups are coming up, uh, you know, this year. And in a matter of two to three years, they are able to, in a very, very bona fide manner, acquire anywhere between 10 and 100 million customers, which are consumer facing and they're producing enormous amounts of data. And that has, you know, become a very key or core part of our business strategy, which is led by, you know, our VP of APAC sales, Raju, who works with, you know, most of the, you know, customers both in India and in the APAC region. The other moment I would say you know, with this advent of customer, um, you know, explosion on various different platforms, such as, you know, digital finance companies, applications, cabs and shuttle providers, the other thing that has come into play very, very strongly is the amount of data that is traveling through, you know, different telco providers. So at this point in time, we have, I'm happy to report that we have five telcos working with us, both in India and APAC, and we are expanding on that. And particularly, you know, the APAC region is seeing the huge, massive increase in the 5G space. In India, it is a lot to do with fintech companies and in which we have literally gained expertise in trying to understand what are the things that matter to a digital financial platform. Through our work with PhonePay and, and our experience with, you know, fighting shoulder to shoulder with them as they were locked in a three-way fight with two of the other largest uh, platforms on the UPI, uh, you know, acceleration. I am pretty happy to report that we have a very very good understanding as to how to scale data systems on digital fintech platforms, and you know that's another area that we are looking very very closely at. You know, there's plenty of great companies like you know coming up, Razer PayPay. You just you know was acquired yesterday, so that shows the amount of um, prospect and the amount of. Potential that Indian fintech companies will have in the next, uh, you know, several years to come. So we're very closely focused on uh, you know, working with them. We are also working with some of the government agencies to you know make sure that they get the right level of observability into the fundamental financial platforms that they are providing. You know, early conversations, but they've now hit scale. You know, I think Indian transactions are are worldwide known that you know we are probably the most voluminous. Uh, digital financial country now already. So I think you know this this trend is only going to expand. I think in the US, what is happening is uh, customers are further along, and when customers are further along, you know because they have already invested a lot in their data systems, they've already invested and built revenue generating business use cases. What we are seeing here in the US is that there is fatigue by managing or operating these data systems at scale, and they're looking to move towards automation. So while you know India and APAC are still, I would say you know in some cases uh, early parts of their data journey, in the US a lot of maturity has already set in. So for, for the US sales motion that we have, and the US kind of traction that we're getting, is from a perspective of you know where is something which is non-core, automatable, and can then provide benefits which allows you know lots and lots of companies to to sort of achieve their stated goals and get ROI from their data systems sooner. So that's starting to happen in the U.S. Now, in terms of our own expansion, you know, we are actually in the process of establishing large partnerships with both, you know, renowned software companies and you know the most popular cloud software platforms. In addition to that, you know, we already have a very good, uh, good market motion, a very solid team, including marketing and salespeople. And we are, you know, going towards uh, getting more sales conversations and conversions uh, with the Fortune 500 and the global 2,000 companies.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, one uh, standard question, sort of, uh, is uh, tell us a bit about your latest uh, funding and uh, uh, what your next big steps are.
1: Yeah. So we actually raised, you know, nine million, eight point five million dollars last year. You know, in May, and you know, we are basically looking forward to uh, doing another, uh, you know, announcement of another round of funding pretty shortly. The plans are definitely of, you know, continuing to expand on on where we are. And, um, uh, you know, just expanding our whole scope of going to different markets and continuing to invest in R&D. You know, unlike many companies which are in a rush to sort of acquire users, for us, it is about, you know, perfecting the product as opposed to, uh, you know, just acquiring users and customers. So our core focus right now, and this is now and for the next two to five years, would be to continue to invest in RD. You know, because in our in our world, you know, IP is the core and the core capability. We are actually taking a product which has to be mature so that mature enterprise customers and large customers can use us. And therefore it puts a lot of uh, you know onus on us to bring the best product out, which then requires you know, continuous investments in RD. You know, our India team uh, is approximately about 70 people right now and we're hoping to take it to approximately 150 people by mid of next year. Uh, you know, it's no secret that hiring in India is a big challenge. So at this stage, you know, we are also considering opening engineering R&D centers across the world. Uh, but, you know, Indian talent is extremely... Um, you know, first of all, very well-trained and the kind of volumes of engineers that we get in India is very hard to replicate in other parts of the world. So we're trying to find the right balance between, you know, uh, where we hire, but, you know, at an overall objective level, essentially, you know, expanding on R&D, continuing to invest in that, expanding the markets that we go into and, you know, building the right sets of partnership, which allows us to, you know, distribute our products rapidly. Those would be the three high-level items.
0: Okay, wonderful. Uh, We'll leave it there this time. Thank you so much, uh, Rohit, for making time for this conversation again. I know it's uh, getting to late evening over there for you in San Francisco. Uh, So wonderful to uh, talk to you today and I hope to keep the conversation going.
1: Absolutely, Hari. Thank you so much for your time today and it was a pleasure being on your show.
0: That was Rohit Chaudhary. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.